Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Justin Hamilton, who is an old friend. We had a chat about relevance, pop culture influence, and uh, art. It was a really fascinating conversation. It happened quite spontaneously. So it was in his house. There's cars going past. The sound quality may not be as good as usual, or it may be better. I was using a slightly different microphone uh, because I was not prepared to be doing a podcast, but then we did one anyway. And I thought it was worth putting up because I really enjoyed this conversation. I think it is a really interesting one. Um, Thank you so much to everybody who has been emailing me. I've been struggling a little bit writing my new show and your encouragement has meant a lot. AliceRFraser at gmail.com is the place to write or hit me up on Patreon messaging. Speaking of which, thank you so much to my Patreons. I struggle every time to express how much it helps uh, with my job. It helps me do what I do and it helps me have the confidence to do more things and more interesting things. And it is so fantastic. And even though my job is words, I find it difficult to express and articulate it without it sounding grovelly or insincere or something. That said, I think thank you probably covers it, uh, but like a meant thank you. Uh, if you uh, have not listened to the trilogy, listen to it. If you haven't bought merch, feel free to buy merch. There's still some up. I will try and renew the stocks of that. Uh, and I'll see you in Melbourne or Sydney or Perth or London or Edinburgh with Mythos. I'm hoping to do a US tour. I'm trying to sort out the visa. Stay tuned for more details of that. It won't be soon, but it might be this year. That's that's it. That's it. All right. Listen to the podcast. I'll see you next week. You're having tea with Alice. No, it should be fine. Uh, so, who are you and what are you drinking? My name is Justin Hamilton, middle name Troy. I'm drinking peppermint tea. And uh, I'll be honest, I already set this up for you. I'm drinking it uh, out of a mug that has a young (laughs) 24-year-old me on it and uh, a 24-year-old Damien Kilsby, who was my partner in comedy from 1994 to 1999. And you might be thinking, why do you have this mug, you strange man? But uh, what happened was a couple of years ago, I think it was... uh, you know, when you look back on your career and you, you look back at certain parts and you go, oh, that's making me want to vomit on myself. I feel so awkward about that. But then you get enough distance that you look back on it quite fondly. Yeah. And I think because it was a, it was a really tough transition going from a duo to a single act. Yeah. Because you had to learn light and shade within yourself. Yeah, rather than using somebody else. I kind of had that in reverse with doing Ethos, which was the robot. Yeah. So I didn't have to do, like, the dialectic myself. Yes. On the one hand this, on the other hand this. I could just have him go, well, isn't that a bit of an arrogant thing to say? Right. Or whatever. Right. That was such a – yeah, it was so much easier. Oh, it's great. So I can imagine doing it in the opposite direction. Oh, because I was an aggro shit in the duo. So then when I was doing stand-up initially – You had to be likeable as well. Well, I didn't – yeah. And so, (laughs) like, really early on, I reckon if you were – if you were on board with me, it was fine. But if you weren't, you were thinking, why is he caving that imaginary child's head in with a beer bottle? But (laughs) at the time, it worked. But um, anyway – so a couple of years ago, uh, I did a show about those first five years. Oh, I, so you brought it back. So I, uh, so I did it as a solo show, but in Adelaide, I didn't tell anyone, but I organised for Damien to get up at the end. And it was a really, uh, really nice surprise for Adelaide audiences who had, you know, kind of grown up with us. And also it was great because, like, Damien's a cop now. Amazing. So, so now he, but he's still as funny as, and uh, he's a great guy. Mm. Anyway, I think he just really got into it. Uh, I really enjoyed having him there. I really uh, enjoyed hanging out with him again on that level rather than, you know, just as mates or whatever. Yeah. And on the creative then, side. Yeah. And then he sent me this, um, sent me this mug that he'd made, which is like, goodness, like, how young. Right. <laughs> right. 
Good, good technique, Alice. Keep it in. Keep it in. Um, All your mistakes made fresh again. <laughs> Gives it texture. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's a Bunter Boys mug. Damien looks so young in it as well. What was great, the highlight of it was he has uh, two lovely daughters, really smart kids, really, uh, really talented, really artistically uh, talented, uh, great uh, with illustrations, etc., mm. and uh, the Jasmine is, you know, she's uh, she's the younger one, she's into you know Doctor Who and all that kind of stuff, My Chemical Romance, that kind of thing. Beautiful Umbrella Academy, uh, and then uh, Izzy. I watched that last night, Umbrella Academy. Oh yeah, what do you think? I thought that it was fun. I liked mm-hmm. the aesthetic of it. I liked mm. the vibe of it. I thought that the character motivations were frustrating. Okay. So there were those. It, I mean, it sort of happens in in so many formats that you need to have tensions and misunderstandings in order for the plot to happen, right? Because right? if they just have a chat and sit down and are normal about it, then nothing goes wrong. Right. Um. But it was very much of just like, just talk to each other. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, there's. Um, have you ever? I'm quite evangelical about this TV series. Have you ever watched The Leftovers? I have not. No. It's it's one of my all time favorite TV series, and uh, there is at the start of the second season, the two main characters, I guess, literally have a moment where they tell each other exactly the really full-on things they do and then they laugh and then they move on. So now we can have other parts of the story, other shows. That would be the secret that would last, you know. The whole way through. Yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, like he's literally saying, oh, yeah, sometimes I see visions of things that might not be there and she's like, oh, yeah, to feel something I get hookers to come over and shoot me in the chest while I'm wearing a... Uh, a bulletproof vest, and they go, oh, yeah, fuck, that's full on. And then that's, uh, <laughs> and then they move on. You go, oh, I love this show. Um, it's interesting, Umbrella Academy, uh, I haven't seen the series. I read the first, maybe the first couple of graphic novels, mm. and uh, Gerard Way uh, is a big disciple of uh, the Scottish writer, Grant Morrison. Who you love. Who I love. And I actually met Way when he came out with Morrison to Australia, and I hosted a, an event with uh, Morrison, uh, the uh, Len Wein, the creator of Wolverine, and the wonderful artist Dave McKean. And, but uh, Dradway was there, and it's interesting that um, that was really influenced by Doom Patrol, and Doom Patrol is now a TV series as well. And that, and they seem to be—I haven't seen that either—but they seem to be really delving into comics have been around as movies and TV shows long enough now that they're starting to deconstruct. And I think we're about to get some really interesting stuff out of it because of that. And uh, going back to that Morrison stuff, which always had a, I I get annoyed. People would dismiss it as weird or it wasn't weird. It was, um, it was actually incredibly creative, but it also what you're talking about with motivations and, you know, actually talking to one another. I think he's always been really good at that. So I'm, I'm fascinated to see it all coming to the fore. Yeah. Yeah, I like that a lot as, as an idea. Um, so you're drinking peppermint tea out of your bottle. Oh, yes. Now. Oh, yeah. So, uh, sorry, so the highlight of the show was Izzy, who is, you know, she's 17. She's becoming a young woman, you know. She's a pretty cool kid. And she was sitting at the front with her friend away from her, Mum and everyone else. Yeah. And uh, the look on Izzy's face when, because, you know, Damien just sat in the audience and I'd get a guitar out and I'd say, I'm going to play some songs from the Bunta Boy days. And then I'd, I can't play guitar, so I'd strum badly and I'd say, Ah, oh, no, I've forgotten that I've forgot to get lessons. Does anyone here know how to play guitar? And from the back, you hear Damien go, I can, Jezza. And then he uh, came down yeah. and the look on Izzy's face was, what is happening? And she was blown away. And then Jasmine later on, because Damien played the, the dumb lovable character and I was the aggro shit, she said, um, oh, yeah, it was really funny because, you know, 
dad's nasty and, and he's the lovable one in the duo. <laughs> it's like he's not nasty, he's just a dad. He's you just know? a dad, he just does dad things. <laughs> that, I like that a lot. Yeah. Uh, so why peppermint tea? Because uh, I didn't have any milk ah, for English breakfast. You're a milk drinker in tea. Yeah, a little bit. And I mean, I'm not judging. Some people think it's sacrilege, but I'm a very um, open church tea person. Right. I think anything can be tea if you think about it long enough in the wrong way. Right, yeah, definitely. Um, What's a bath but person tea, really? Person tea? Yeah. What would your tea taste like? Um, I think it would it would have complex layers. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But not as many as I think there are. Oh, right, yeah. It's a, yeah there's, <laughs> there's many layers to this and there's, nah, there, there's a few. Yeah. But some of them are the same. Yeah, I reckon. Um, yeah, I would have. Uh, I would. I would nail the amount of aromas that I would have, but some of them that I would think were really. Hey, yeah, this makes me unique. People would go, "No, nah, that's not very unique." And then they'd say, "What about this one?" I'd say, "What's that one?" Yeah, <laughs> I didn't even know that was there. And then you look back and you're like, "Oh God, that's the core flavor of my whole life." That's been there the whole time. I have no idea who I am. <laughs> <laughs> So what have you been wrestling with other than your complex layers? Um, well, that is an interesting question because that is an answer which uh, goes back many years. This, that is the perfect <laughs> kind of answer to that question. So, um, so basically I kind of fell out of love with stand-up uh, for quite a while. Mm. Uh, which I think is a very uh, natural thing to do. Mm. Uh, it just didn't really seem I, – I, I hate to say it didn't seem very challenging because you can always write new material and you can always write better material and you can find new ways into things. But I was just bored with the process every year. You know, it's always around the same time of the year. You have to start writing new material. You go and do small clubs, you build it up, you really promote your show, you do the show. Your mood becomes seasonal, which mm. I noticed the other day of just like these two weeks around Melbourne. I'm very, very much shorter with people than yeah. I normally am. Yeah. And I'm not a cranky person. Yeah. But I will be much more, you know, I won't give people so much leeway. Yeah. That's fair enough as well. Like I, like on the one hand, I understand why people say, "Oh, comedians around the comedy festival are the worst," and I think our behaviour can be not the best. But on the flip side of that, it's well, we've worked really hard on these shows, and we want to get them out there. And this is all I can think about to make it work. So it kind of goes hand in hand. Well, it's that thing where in any given conversation between 15 and 70% of your brain will be in the background yeah. solving problems. Yes. Like it's it's putting the pieces together, thinking yeah. of jokes, keeping an eye out for moments that could work or thoughts that could work. Yeah. Like so you are you're, you're more open to the world in some ways and yeah. in other ways you're not really interested in anything that you already know. Right, right. So for friends or family or loved ones, they can get, you're like, you just put them in on the back burner because they're not giving you in, new information. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it, well, it's, um, it's survival, survival instinct. Yeah. Because as soon as you're not focused, things can unravel yeah. <laughs> so quickly. Um, but just, the, you know, like even, like, I, I don't particularly watch stand-up anymore. Mm. I'm curious to see my friends' shows. Mm. Uh, I want to see what my friends are doing. Mm. When people tell me there's this brand-new comedian coming out who's fantastic, I don't doubt that they're fantastic, but I could be reading a book or I could be watching a movie yeah. uh, rather than seeing a fantastic new comedian. If, if I met that person and uh, really liked them and then saw them do a small gig, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go and see that. That would be great. But um, so... I, I kind of wrestled uh, with, you know, what, what, what do you do? Uh, and then over the last couple of years, I think, uh, you know, a lot of my, uh, a lot of our peers have uh, put on some pretty uh, interesting and groundbreaking shows. And mm. it has been, I think it's very much been 
a renaissance of sorts. Yeah, and I'm not so certain. Like my male friends put on wonderful shows, but it's, you know, it's the Hannah Gadsby's and it's the Celia Pacola's. I thought Celia Pacola's show was um, deceptively uh, very political. (laughs) <laughs> but in such a way, in such a serial way mm. that you could have easily walked out of there and just gone, oh, yeah, okay, that was really, that was great. Yeah. But if you kind of thought about it, some of the things she was saying were um, not all, but some of the things were a counterbalance to, or not a counterbalance, but kind of uh, fitted together nicely with stuff that Hannah was talking about, yeah. et cetera. And so the thing that I've been wrestling with is uh, if, if I'm not really that interested in stand-up, I like creating shows. Mm. It's fun. It's a really fun process. I like writing. But if the message at the moment is middle-aged men need to shut the fuck up and listen, Mm. how do you create something in that environment, especially if you agree? Yeah. So, uh, So I did wrestle with that. I wrestled with that for... Uh, quite a while. I think that is a fascinating idea. Yeah. Did you come to a resolution? Yeah. What was your resolution? So the resolution was, um, uh, it's funny because we've talked a little bit about this, but I know there's people listening in, uh, so I feel like I'm doubling you up. But mm-hmm. uh, So what I did was uh, I wrote these three one-man shows, one-person shows, and... What I did was the things that I was inspired yeah, by. Yeah, yeah, we can all do a trilogy. Oh, yeah, whatever, mate. <laughs> mate, I did it 12 years ago, mate. Um, bringing it back. But, uh, but uh, all the thoughts all the thoughts were so complex, they couldn't, like, to kind of give them room to breathe. They needed, uh, like, I don't want it to be 15 minutes of this. Yeah. And there were these um, conceits that I wanted to hit on. So I kind of needed to expand them. And... All the things that I've really enjoyed in recent times have been ambiguous. Mm. The Leftovers uh, is an example of that. I've loved the uh, three series of Fargo. Um, I was a big fan of the first uh, True Detective and uh, I felt like there was some stuff going on with that that uh, was kind of missed because it was, you know, it had some – trickery in it that was like you know dazzled you but if you kind of thought about some stuff there was a bit more going on but the thing that really had a massive influence on me was uh did you did you watch twin peaks the return uh no i didn't right but i heard many good things about it i had a crazy journey with it because i watched so i watched it when it first came out mm-hmm. then i saw the movie uh firewalk with me and hated it it was so angry because i wanted resolution and it didn't it was prequel and I was like, this is bullshit, <laughs> young man. I want answers. And then uh, Twin Peaks The Return came and uh, I was really buzzed for it. And the first four episodes, I was like, yes, it's back. Around episode six or seven, I didn't know anyone else who was watching it. Around episode six or seven, I was like, fuck, is this any good? Like, I don't know if this is good. Oh, um, well, I've watched everything else. I might as well stick with it. Mm. And then episode eight happened and the most normal thing that happened in episode eight was about 15 minutes into the episode Nine Inch Nails played a full song. And <laughs> I sat there and at the end of that episode, it really, it was really amazing. It was really kind of disturbing. It kind of pulled out all of these weird emotions in me. And I was like, oh, I'm watching this incorrectly. I'm watching it, wanting it to be this. But what David Lynch is giving me is that. And I should watch that. So it's like I broadened the way I watched it. And then it had an ending that was like, like I said, I say this with all the joy in the world, but at the end I was like, son of a bitch. And it was like, you've engaged me again with an ambiguous ending that's forcing me to think about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's super interesting. It's with my new show, I'm wrestling with something that's a bit like that. Right. Or I could just be thinking that because this is the time just before the festival where everything seems to feed into your thesis. (laughs) Yeah, right. Um, Can you say what it is or because you're working on it? It's it's the idea that I have hitherto done shows that are 
sort of, I do a lot of different things in them. Yeah. Partly that's fear, that if you don't like what I'm doing now, something will come along in five minutes and you'll like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and partly it's because I find that interesting to give a lot of different things or explore the same ideas through different ways, you know, yeah. that, and I, I like the challenge of bringing seemingly disparate threads together, yep. things that you're like, why is she talking about that? And then yeah. you know, 20 minutes later you're like, oh, it makes sense. Yeah. And then on it's top, fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's super fun, especially then, being in the moment like, oh, where you can see people. See, you can see people twig. What is happening here? And then yeah. on top of that, coming out of Australia, where we have this tall poppy syndrome, I've always felt obliged to right. perform confusion on stage. Okay. To perform uncertainty. Right. Because I worry that it'll come across as lectury or that right. it'll turn people off. Okay. So that I'll look like I'm wrestling with these ideas on stage. Yeah. And I'm confronted with these emotional responses and I'm dealing with them in the moment. And that's yeah. a conceit. Yeah. But whatever reason it is, either I'm too good an actor or people are not willing to give me credit for doing it on purpose. Right. A lot of a lot of the I mean, I get a lot of good responses, but a lot of the less good responses have been like, oh man, that looked like it was like really confused for you or like you were really struggling with that or, you know, did you know what you're doing or, you know, how did it all, like what a great coincidence that it all came together. And I'm like, no, 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 this is all really carefully crafted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So with this new show, I'm trying to make it really clean, the line through it. But already there's all these threads branching off that are super interesting and I'm Right. Seeing if I can tuck them in or make it part of the show or whatever it is. Yeah. So yeah, I'm 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 that desire that I have to make things ambiguous. Is yeah. she acting or is she really struggling? Is she coming up with this on the spot or yeah. has she just realized that this is a mistake? Yeah. I like that ambiguity, but in a world where people aren't willing to give you credit for doing it on purpose. <laughs> Like, how much do you have to signpost it? Right. Like, I saw Kitson the other night, Daniel Kitson, and he will tell you that he's done it on purpose. Right. And then sometimes he won't, but then it becomes obvious that he was. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, I, don't, I don't know where I stand on that or what that's going to do to this show. It's, um, it's funny, isn't it? Uh, that's a, I've, seen, I've seen acts pretty much explain what the show is about. Mm. And I was very much against that. And then I realized that, you know, uh, taking into account that we live lives, you know, the, a lot of the entertainment we watch is edited quickly yeah. and we're on our phones, etc., which is nothing new as an insight, but we are conditioned to lose focus. So there's a part of me that just goes, oh, yeah, yeah, maybe you do need to do that. Yeah. Maybe you do need to point it out. Because, you know. It doesn't even always work. Like, I did that in Empire. Right. And I got a really, like, I pulled a quote from it and put it on my poster, which was confusing, um, from the Scotsman, a right. review that, like, uh, the, like, basically the first line is, this is about heroes and villains and how things are more complicated than you want them to be. Right. And that's the whole show. And I'm dressed as a Disney villain. Yeah. And yet... <laughs> Like it, so I just don't know how much you have to signpost things. Or, I mean, it could have been that she genuinely found the show confusing. Right, but, right. Um, it's, um, I don't know, it's a, it's, a, it's a real tricky one because you want to be, you want to be clever, but you, then you get frustrated when people don't notice you're clever and then you go, why am I thinking about this? God, this is exhausting. Yeah, yeah, it is exhausting. And I don't, you know, I don't, I don't really care. You, you must care on some level. Like I know, so, so this is jumping ahead a little bit, right? Yeah. In so part of what I've tried to do with these shows mm. was um, I try to play around with audio states mm. because I get bored by about the forty-five minute mark. Even of my dearest friends doing the best stand-up I've seen in a long time, my mind starts to wander because it's just been one, one thing. One thing, and I also. And I know that would apply to me talking as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm not uh, saying I'm above this. But so what I've tried to do is I've tried to play around with audio states. So there's on mic, there's off mic, there's pre-recorded stuff. The pre-recorded stuff is sometimes direct and clear. Some of it sounds like it's on a phone. 
and I've tried to use music in a way that you see in TV and movies. Mm. So in comedy, often music is used as a sting. Mm. I try to use music as infused within the story. And the second show is very much about... Well, your shows are quite cinematic as well. Oh, yeah, thank you. Well, you know, I kind of like that stuff. You know, I I I very much try to go for uh, HBO endings, you know, that bit of music and that sharp blackout. Finally, I could make credits appear. I was uh, super tempted to have the Netflix sting as my opener. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. You know, the boing. Yeah, yeah. It's a very (laughs) distinct uh, noise as well. Get a a free laugh before the show starts. You should do that. That's great. Um, But the second show is uh, like an existential murder mystery where the titular character of John Tildanimous has been found dead with a gun in his hand and a note in a box that's open that says, pretty funny, right? Mm-hmm. But everyone who rings, all the comedians that ring the character I'm playing, I can't agree on which John it is. Is it stand-up John? Is it musical John? Is it impro John? Every time it's a different John, their allegiances change. And then they can't even get their allegiances right. Like one guy hates stand-up John's stand-up because he kept doing the same material. But the next guy loves stand-up John because, you know, he just stuck to like he just he stuck no. to his act, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know. And then another one doesn't like him because he kept changing up his material all the time. So no one can agree on anything. But uh, because my character is alone in his uh, apartment, he's listening to a to a radio station, and the the same person keeps ringing mm. and requesting the same song, which is the Four Tops. It's the same old song. While my character is obsessing over his phone ringing, he's waiting for a phone call from his manager. So the music, like, like it plays for like a minute fifty, which is a long time. Yeah, but a show in particular. Yeah, yeah, right. And so you know, so I did the three shows in Adelaide, one, two, three, uh, and then went out for dinner with beautiful friends of mine, really close friends of mine. And uh, at the end, <laughs> my mate said, uh, oh, "I wish I'd seen it in Melbourne." I said, "Oh, why is that?" He said, "Because oh, you'll tighten that uh, that use of music." And I was like, sure, he goes 45 minutes. <laughs> like, no, but no. Like, and then I go, you know, you get defensive. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's like it's meant to be. What What did it make you feel? Ah, oh, it just made me feel awkward. Yes. 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 It's about obsession. Did you notice how I'm still looking at my phone, seeing if I'm not getting coverage and the song keeps playing and it's the same old song? It's literally the same old song being requested by the same person playing. And Yeah, yeah, yeah. That – the discomfort thing, <laughs> using discomfort as part of comedy when the sign of bad comedy is discomfort but sometimes the sign of good comedy is discomfort. Yes, yeah, right. <laughs> and people aren't necessarily quite sure. So do you then have to go at the end of that, that might have made you feel uncomfortable, I did it on purpose. Yeah. Just, I just want to have like a want... sign that goes, I'm doing this on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> this is, yeah, I know. And I had to say to my friend, it's a 45-minute show. Like it's it's tight. It's it, like it is like it doesn't go any longer than it has to, and yeah. it, it is what it is. So I uh, I hear you. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you with that. So you're doing this in Melbourne. So I'm doing it in Melbourne. So uh, so what happened was uh, twelve years ago I did Three Colors Hamo, which was three separate shows, one each week. Told each episode, uh, each show told a separate story, but if you saw all three, it connected and told one big story. And in 2007, that was really hard to mm. explain because mm. say, people say, oh, yeah, so how does it work? And you'd say, well, it's three separate shows. See one, it tells one story. See all three, it tells one big story. And they'd say, do you have to see all three? You go, no, they're separate shows <laughs> and, uh, like, without fail. But then, Well, thank you for doing that hard work because oh. I was able to explain my trilogy easily. So. Well, you know what's worked out well for us. The Marvel movies. Yeah. Marvel movies came along in 2008. I just say now, oh, you know the Marvel movies? Yeah. You know how you don't see all of them? Yeah. But you see some of them? Yeah. And you kind of follow the story? Yeah. There you go. Magic. But the, I got the idea from Grant Morrison's Seven Soldiers of Victory where he wrote seven separate series, four-part series that had a bookend on each and the characters never met up but they had to take on this you know, this existential uh, villain kind of thing. And that's – so I got the idea from comics. Yeah. And then I did it in uh, the Melbourne Comedy Festival and now comics have become mainstream 
they explain your yeah so that's really good that was uh, that's worked out well so so I had all these ideas and I and I've I, you know I've really you know you do like I'm 46 does anyone really need to hear from me so okay so if you want to keep creating how how are you going to do this you know so uh the character of um, – so I ca- created this character, John Tilde Animus. Animus definitely working in many, uh, many different uh, explanations, mm. uh, depending on how you want to read into it. And so the first show uh, was very – it's very much about the um, uh, – what I was going through as a guy in his 40s as well. So John appears three times on a on a – talk show at the end of his career at middle of his career and beginning of his career and every time he gets interviewed he learns new truths that he didn't know about where his where his career was at and they're quite shocking uh so that show's called three dances and uh and there's a couple of other characters that i play but it's essentially for anyone who comes along it's essentially i split this character into the the ego and the super ego and it's the three kind of working their way through then the second show is the uh, murder. the murder and then slash the, suicide slash mystery maybe, maybe yeah right and then uh, the third show is John finds himself in a place he doesn't recognise and he's being interviewed by a woman that he thinks he recognises but he's not sure mm-hmm. every time he gets a question wrong she shoots him <laughs> and then he comes back and he has to go through it again and the other part that's the other part of the story is you see John trying to sell the trilogy of shows appearing on commercial radio and, uh, you know, being offered reality TV spots and things like that and the wrestling he's doing with that as well. So what I did was – so that, anyway, this is a really long-winded way of explaining it. But what I decided was I don't think anyone needs to hear a guy say, oh, yeah, these are my opinions on shit. But what I wanted to do was respond to my peers and the work that they're all doing and do it in a way that hopefully creates a discussion rather than this is a fact. I've, I've yeah. been really wrapped that, I've, I've, you know, people who have written to me about the shows have all had very different interpretations of the shows and that's been, that's been that's fantastic. The, that's the point. Yeah. And, you know, I wanted to try and hopefully create something that you think about later not just go oh yeah that was good should we get something to eat and i've also um cory cory white's fiance who i'd never met before and she was lovely that was so uh i caught up with them afterwards and and she said something about the second show she said oh yeah it's really it's got an interesting statement about friendship and i thought oh has it then i went back and i had a look and i said oh it does have an interesting thing about friendship so so i'm learning stuff about what's in there as well i really like that I like that as a response to that thing, that particular wrestling, which I know a lot of men are going through mm. at the moment, this idea that they are, I mean, even putting aside this idea of historic privilege, mm. in a very real sense, they're feeling like their voices are not welcome. Mm. I don't know if I, I don't necessarily not feel welcome, but uh, I want to be, I want to be worthy. Mm. And um, which I think is a good thing. I yeah. think that's that's one of those things that is one of the one of the things I like least about the social justice movement is when people are like, "Yeah, here's a taste of your own medicine." Oh right, yes. You know the idea, even just the idea of calling something privilege when it should be a right. Yeah. You know, it's not a privilege to walk down the street not in fear of the police. Mm. That's a right. And calling it a privilege implies that you want to take it away from somebody rather right. than bring everyone up to the same level. Let's yeah. get men worried about how they look. Let's yeah. make people feel self-conscious about this or that or whatever it is. Everyone should have the comfort of the dominant whatever. Yeah. But this idea, I think, the, where it applies and where it's useful is the thing that I was told when I was coming up about the coming up against these walls, being a woman, suddenly realising for the first time after having been brought up with a twin brother very egalitarianly, uh, went going to a girls' school, suddenly realising that there were things that I was 
getting pushback on right. purely because I was a woman. Right. And the thing I was always told was just be better, just be undeniable, just yeah. be doing something so interesting that people cannot say no to you. Yeah. There are exceptions, obviously, to that as a rule. I think Laura Davis is a perfect exception. Oh, yeah, Laura. In yeah, that she's, she's been incredibly good for incredibly long and she couldn't get traction in Australia. Yeah, right. So she had to go to the UK. Yeah. Like. Always uh, super inventive and uh, fearless as well. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I think where that is useful is as a response to this question of men, particularly white men, particularly white men in their 30s and 40s and 50s. Mm going, well, what have I got to say? Why am I, am I not allowed to speak? And the answer is, of course you're allowed to speak. Yeah. Just be saying something interesting. Yeah, and don't be, don't be scared of uh, change because change, uh, change is a good thing. It's, it's, it's really fascinating because, uh, you know, as you know, I was raised by a single mum. Mm. And so, uh, like, I feel like I forget, I know this will sound weird, mm. and this is probably a part of it as well, but... I feel like an outsider. Mm. I've always felt like an outsider. I've never really felt like I fit in anywhere. So then, so I, uh, you'll love this. I was hosting a Royal Comedy final in, uh, at the Sydney Comedy Store last year. Uh, for people overseas, Royal Comedy is an Australian uh, competition that, uh, for new and up and coming comedians. And mm. it's, it's, it's fantastic. It's really worthy. Uh, oh, have you seen Beck Melrose? No, I haven't. Oh man, she is. She's going to be in Melbourne. I'll keep an eye out. Yeah, okay. she's doing the comedy zone. I oh, love her. I hosted her semi-final. Went, who is this girl? And every time I see her, she's anyway. You'll love her. All she's right. great. And um, anyway, but on that night, you know, I always try to get people's names right because yeah. you know this is, and I always try to treat the contestants as well as possible because this might be it. This yeah. might be the only gig they ever do. Yeah, and you want them to have or a good time. Or equally, in three years' time, they might have a TV show and need a writer. <laughs> oh yeah, well you know maybe maybe, but uh, that's funny. Uh, I hadn't thought of that. I should have really worked out it. Um, but anyway, there was uh, one girl on who um, I can't really remember her name properly, but it was like a a long name with a a, a single syllable short name like Smith or something mm-hmm. like that. So her name was I think like let's say her name was Alexandra Smith. And I said to her, how do you want to be introduced? you want to be introduced as Alex or Alexandra? And uh, she said, I don't know, surprise me. And I was like, oh, man, I've got 18 acts. I've got to host this thing, you know, no, whatever. So anyway, I introduced her as Alexandra Smith. And um, afterwards I said to her, hey, to to be honest, her gig hadn't gone too well. Of the 18 acts, two didn't go too well, and she was one of them. Yeah. Not terrible. Fair enough. Yeah, it was okay. So, you know, you try to give someone – some positive feedback. And I said, hi, just letting you know, I called you Alexandra Smith uh, because uh, it's a really strong name. It's got lots of uh, syllables. Your last name is one syllable. Like Alex Smith would, it's clicked. Yeah. So I thought it would sound better. And then from an MC's point of view, it's a, it's a really fun name to say. Yeah. And she looked at me and she just went, yeah, because you're the most important person here. And what I said was, well, I've been doing this for a while, so I thought I might have some insight that you might find helpful. But in my head, I was like, yeah, I am. I am. I'm the person with the most experience here. I'm just trying to be nice. But it was this real, you know, pushback of this, uh, you know, and the way she kind of treated me all night was, to be honest, hilarious because it was like she was treating me like I was, you know, out there going, you know, oh, yeah, what's up with chicks? Again, yeah, this is my – yes, you have just articulated my exact problem, which is that to be treated as a cipher, as a proxy for a group of people mm. that you are meant to represent mm. was wrong when it was done to us. Right. And is not right when it's done in the opposite direction. Right. That'll be uh, Carl Donnelly. That'll be Carl Donnelly. Uh, I'll pause this. Um, you know. Yes, you were talking about the girl at the thing. Yeah. Recording again. Yeah. So, uh... The idea of being a proxy for someone, for another group. Yeah. I... By the way, I, I get it as well. Like, I... Like, I'm not... Uh, like, I understand that, you know, who knows what experiences she's had and, uh... Uh, just because I don't view myself as what I appear to be doesn't mean that's not what I appear to be, but I do find it, um, I do find it 
a little bit fascinating to, you know, like even like even all the things I was into are really mainstream now, mm. which is. It's a weird feeling. It's relocated you in the culture. Yeah. Like I remember being called a pedophile when I was 13 because my, some people found out I read comics. Mm-hmm. And so they were seen as a small kid's thing. Yeah, and I was 13. Uh, but that's it. Like even then it was a dismissed thing. And then you find yourself sitting in the, uh, you find yourself in the cinema watching Guardians of the Galaxy 2 surrounded by all these beautiful people watching Kurt Russell play Ego the Living Planet. And I'm sitting there going, how did this happen? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, this is, my, my theory is, is that we live in a science fiction world because of technology. Yeah. So therefore all of these things, you know, suddenly don't feel that far removed. Well, people have access to technology that was only for nerds. Yeah. And so the anxieties that were were cultivated by those technologies yeah. are now much more mainstream. And so these are the solution to the symptoms of those anxieties. This yeah. is the medicine for that, this kind of cultural output. It's fascinating. It's it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Um, well, I guess... Because uh, I want you to plug your show. Oh, yeah. Thank you. No, I guess... Um, it was just a. It was just an interesting question that uh, you, you know you ask what you're wrestling with, and then it feels like uh, uh, it has been stuff. Like when I moved from Melbourne, when I had the opportunity to move from Melbourne, I was pretty depressed in Melbourne, and moved up to Sydney, and it's a very isolating city. It can be, yeah. Yeah, but um, I really embrace things like uh, feeling lonely, mm. and. Much preferred to feel lonely than uh, feel claustrophobic and kind of making all these decisions and really worked uh, uh, hard on trying to sort of um, find a way through that uh, that midlife malaise that kind of settles in and then trying to witness what's going on in the world and trying to find ways to regardless of what anyone else thinks, still feel relevant in yeah. your own head. And that relevancy came from trying to in, engage with the world and learn from it. It's, uh, it's, it's been a really interesting process and I'm, I'm glad that uh, I've gone through it. Did you see that hashtag, uh, I, I'm still not okay? Did you see, I think that's what it was. That passed me by. I yeah. sort of have an on and, off, on and off again relationship with Twitter. Occasionally yes. I will go and read what's happening on it. Yeah. But usually I just treat it as an outpipe plus reading my mentions. Oh, right. I don't even read mentions. Uh, oh, I try not to. Because hmm. uh, always, for the most part, people are really cool. Yeah. But some arsehole slips in. <laughs> and it just... Ah, Poisons the pot. Yeah. Um, and I'm... I, but I managed to catch that one because uh, I follow Evan Rachel Wood, uh, star of Westworld and many movies and uh, singer, etc. And uh, she's, I think she started the hashtag. I found it really informative. Uh, I found it really, you know, like I stayed, I stayed, I read the hashtag early. Mm-hmm. I reckon hashtags early can be informative and then if you stay for too long, then they morph into, you know, yeah. Other things. The other day I found a an outrage and the backlash to that outrage within a minute mm. of each other. Yeah, right. And it was so funny because I went from like, oh, shit, is this something I should have been caring about to, oh, I'm a good person for never having cared about it. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dodged a bullet there. Um, but it's uh, – I, I do agree that it's uh, with people saying, you know, just listen so easy to get defensive, you know, you know, not all men, you know, that kind of yeah. thing. Well, but that's also true. Mm. The point is we know in not all men. Right. Except then again, there are some people who do believe all men. Yeah. So at the same time as you're getting frustrated at being treated like you're, like you think it's all men when obviously only an idiot would do that, there are idiots loudly saying that it is all men. Yeah. So both sides of the equation are like, no, 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 I'm not one of those people. You don't need to tell me this. Yeah. Infuriating. Yeah, and it's exhausting. Uh, But if you can kind of find a way to uh, use 
everything that's going on in the world, I think you can learn some things and in the process uh, be a better person. And I think you can also, uh, you know, like be a better person uh, in everyday life. I think it's also, uh, I've really appreciated it because I think it's um, kind of reminded me of why I got into this, which has therefore made me uh, the most creative I've been in a long time. Having to kind of justify your presence yeah. in a way, reminded yeah. you of why you're worth having around. Yeah, I guess so. And uh, and, and finding, finding ways into it. Uh, has been really fulfilling. So it's been, you know, there's been some ups and downs and there's been some uh, frustrating moments. Uh, but uh, overall, I think it's been uh, a really positive experience and and also doesn't feel like it's ending. It feels like, okay, this is all... A new phase. Yeah, this is a new phase and it's going somewhere. And, and uh, you know, it, uh, you know, working in commercial and TV and radio like I was for the last few years, you know, really sought out those all those other voices that they have no idea about, yeah. you know, avoiding, you know, because the commercial world is just full of, um, and I hope they're listening, <laughs> it's full of, uh, full of the least interesting people I've ever met. <laughs> and I mean that sincerely. <laughs> and I don't want you to read between the lines because there are no lines. I'm saying this directly to you, you idiots. Um, you know, everything from not really understanding uh, some of these, you know, like this, I have a, in the third show, there's something that happens that is based on what happened in real life, which was a radio show I've worked on where we had uh, this uh, wonderful actress in and you can't, you can't just have interviews. Yeah. Got to have, gotta have uh, games. games and stunts and it's like you know what are you doing we're meant to be doing a stunt here at this point you know so i but do, do you realize the most downloaded podcast in australia is richard feidler and he interviews people and they just talk anyway they, they don't know about that and so uh this uh, jessica malboy was in the secret daughter you know aboriginal woman descent headlining her own free-to-air television show like that's I reckon there'd be heaps of interesting things to talk about there. And so, and our hosts thought that as well. And our producers, these 20 something year old producers, uh, actually, you know what? No, I'm not having a go at them for being 20 something year old. These commercial radio producers, that's what I'm having a go at them about, uh, brought in a box that the host didn't know was going to happen and put secret things in the box. And uh, Jessica pulled out a dildo. And our hosts were horrified and it was, you know, this big, you know, while it's all going live to air and blah, 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 blah. And then the next thing was, okay, we're going to get the female host to tell a story about, you know, women empowerment. It's like you just had Jessica Malboy pull out a dildo, you fucking idiots. Like, what are you doing? Like, it's you have no idea what's going on in the world. You know, and another, another woman compared one of the contestants on The Bachelorette to uh, – on The Bachelor to – looking like Caitlyn Jenner, couldn't understand why there was a backlash to it. And so I, how, how can you not realise it's going to be a backlash to this, you know? And, uh, but they're just locked into the way they think and, uh, you know, can't see outside of it. So struggling with those thoughts and then looking elsewhere mm. for uh, intellectual nourishment and encouragement and, uh you know, using that as a process to find your way through to being a bit more creative again has been, as I said, like a really uh, fulfilling uh, process. But well, it's, it's clearly worked. You have your new show, award-winning mm. Ballad of John Tilt Animus. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Um, if people are in Melbourne, where can they see your work? Oh, yes. Uh, they can see me at uh, the Toff in town. I've got a weird schedule because I wanted to perform at the Toff. So I won't try to uh, confuse people, but it's 12 shows, uh, four performances of each show. And uh, if you want more details, uh, you can check out at comedy.com.au. Perfect. Thank you so much for having tea with me. Oh, yeah. Thank you.
do you know, oh, do you not, this dolphin mistress that we have got? Elsie Thompson, it is her name, and she helps the dolphins at every frame. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle day. On Monday morning, when she comes in, she hangs her coat on the highest pin. Turns around for to view her frames, crying, damn you, doffers, cry up your ends. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle day. And when the boss, he looks round the door, tie our ends up, doffers, he will roar. Well, tie our ends up, we surely do, for Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away, is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our ends up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Loudly rifle, doll, loudly rifle, day.